calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome back to another episode of Awkward Sex and the City. We're here. We're loving it. We're sitting down doing work in our remote learning, working situation, wherever you are. Um, Not remote, on the train, plane, automobile. Who knows where you are right now? Because I can't see you. You can't see me. Where am I? I am in my bedroom. I'm almost always in my bedroom when I record. Guys, I have a guest today. You're going to love it. You're going to love the episode. You're going to love her. Her name is Lissa Mandel. Uh, She's one of the first people I met when I moved to New York City at a quaint little theater called the People's Improv Theater. And you can follow her at a flock of sandwiches on Instagram. She has a podcast called What's Betwixt Us, which is a podcast about empathy at work, which you can download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. This combo, we talk about relationships. We talk about getting to healthy relationships we talk about marriage what that looks like for us um we talk about a lot of things and just as always it's so easy to talk to Alyssa that this episode for me went by in a flash um just talking with her and I loved it and I think you will too remember to like share subscribe rate review what's betwixt us and awkward sex and city and I'll see you guys on the other side So you just moved. Yeah. It's like super fresh, less than a week. I live among the boxes. How are you feeling? I mean, discombobulated, but like I really needed a fresh start. Like it was getting very crunchy. Uh, So I'm grateful. Oh, good. Yeah. Is this the first time you and Phil have lived together? It's the first time we've lived together with just us. We've lived together with roommates in several different places. So this feels like, I don't know, it feels like uh, there are no distractions now and we're both Sagittarians and so we both are like a little bit sparkle pony syndrome. 
<laughs> so, so this is like, well, okay, whatever is between us is going to come up and we're going to deal with it. It's kind of great. I don't know. Like it's, I've lived with my person for like five years now and like mm. everything does come up. You learn everything about each other, uh, what you hate, what you love. It's so cool to like be walking home and like see the light on and you know, it's like your person's home Yeah, and no one else. Yeah. And I think that Phil was really excited about that particular kind of thing as well. And I was the one who was pushing back because I love living with, with friends and I've had the, the wonderful, like I wasn't just living with roommates. It was like one good friend after another. And that's inspiring to me. And also I have dreams of living on a commune of some kind and Ooh, Phil's not cool. about that. So I think he's happy that it's just the two of us. Ah, uh, that's fair. I don't know. Commune life could be cool. Commune. I feel like I said communist life. Communist Commun- life. Commune life could be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I just love the idea of having my own private space, but then being able to go out in the public space and have an awesome conversation spur of the moment with whoever happens to be there. Oh, yeah, totally. I could totally see you on a commune. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. And like, I feel like Sweden does something very similar and like they're like the happiest country in the planet really there's like this thing where you can like multiple families like live in this area together and so like one parent does dinner like two times out of the month and then like one parent's like i think it was specifically families Mm -hmm. um but it was like they shared all the responsibilities of the kids and like they fucking loved it there's this documentary called happy i think it's just happy on netflix and they go into it oh i'm gonna check it out i love documentaries i'm a doc junkie yeah, and it goes into like what makes people happy, what's like the unhappiest country, what's the happiest country, and like why. Yeah. And guess what? It's all about work. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. I mean, we're not, you know, people anymore. We're uh we're just cogs in the machine. Mm-hmm. Hashtag this is a show about communism now. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me while I get my Karl Marx real quick. Uh, <laughs> So since I've known you, you and Phil have been together, I think, right? Yeah. In April, it'll be 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's real weird. It's like a full, you know, quarter of our lives. That's like a common law marriage at this point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if it if we had been together, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, we would have been married a long time by now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you guys want to get married? Um, I think that that's the direction that we're headed in, but I have to be honest. Do you want to though? Well, I feel like I, I'm all about like the celebration of love and, and, you know, throwing a huge, amazing event for all of your loved ones. And, but the idea of marriage freaks me out. Not going to lie. Like the idea of being locked in until the day I die, which could be five years from now or 40 years from now is like, it's hard for me. And I don't know. I've never considered myself a commitment phobe, but there's something about like feeling legally responsible to anybody other than myself is scary to me. No, I think that's totally fair. You're legally responsible for someone's loans if they die. Right. And your credit card debt if they die. Like that's wild. Yeah. But it's also the thing of like, I, I don't know. I just, I never realized how much my autonomy mattered to me until recently. Mm-hmm. thinking about it, you know, because like, listen, I want the proposal moment. Like I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with that. And, and I want that celebration. I want that like show of, uh, 
like this is how much we care about each other. Um, I don't think I could get really the proposal and the wedding without the marriage part. <laughs> Society doesn't I know. like that. I totally think you could. Like at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper. So it's it, like, yeah, like we're marrying each other without the government involved. Yeah. I, think, I don't know. I just think that's totally, the more that I've like, the older I've gotten, the more that I've dealt with like friends' weddings and now like, like my own planning, it can be whatever your relationship, your wedding can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And when, so when is yours? So we are going to get married in July of next year. Amazing. It's yeah. going to be in New York or destination. So we wanted to New York because that's like, we're like, it's our home. But everything costs too much fucking money because right. it's like New York. Um, so we have decided just recently because we were like, we don't want to just throw that much money away for a day. We're just going to invite everyone to come to the beach. Oh, I love it so much. And then everyone can be, be like, barefoot. Everyone can be barefoot in their bathing suits. BYOB. We're going to like put a tab. Do you know Rippers? No. Rippers is this like great burger. It's like this uh, I don't, burger stands not the right word, but it has like burgers and drinks. And we're going to put like a tab down there so people can get their food there. We're going to be like BYOB, like no gifts, just come. And we'll like frolic on the beach together. Oh, I love that. I love that. I have a friend that's doing like four different dinners. So it's like four different friend groups. Oh, so that's she's like good. doing like four mini weddings almost. Like you could, I, you can fill, could do whatever you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it, it, our families might be are a little bit more traditional, I think. Not traditional, but like from another generation. And I feel mm -hmm. like if I didn't give my dad the opportunity to have like, a classic splashy uh, Jewish wedding, he would be sad. Yeah, because that's the other thing I'm kind of learning is like the wedding doesn't get to be about you. Right. It's about like who your family. Yeah. Yeah. Your family makes it about them, which I'm like, no, this is my time. Like, this is my day. But I totally understand that that, that like dynamic slash struggle. Mm -hmm. Do you and Phil have like a like ideal, like perfect dream wedding? We have only talked about bits and pieces of it. Like, you know, if I had my way, I would get married in the desert, but he is not interested in that. Uh, and our, all of our families would have to travel all the way across the country. So like, that's not happening, but we were talking about there being a buffet that blends our cultures. So it's like Italian food and Chinese food. And I think that I would be, that. that would be fun. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't know. I think, I think it would be so hard. And you can speak to this also because you're like part of a comedy community, but we have so many friends and they're all so entertaining. And I would love to be able to have a party for all of them. But then it couldn't be like, I mean, I can't pay $100 a plate for 400 people, you know? No, exactly. That's when we were like, we can't do, like, we can't do this. We can't have, it either turns into just being like a wedding of your family and like 12 friends or like no wedding. So it's like, it's, yeah, like you said, it's so hard. You have so many people you want to invite. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, uh. Yeah. And then there's all the, the politics around that, you know, and who doesn't make the cut. I don't know. There's just so much extra drama. Yeah. Like I've known like friend fights over that shit. And I'm like, ooh, it's expensive. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. What do you think about the whole, like all of the like accoutrement parties that come with it? Like the bachelorette and the, all that. I think they're becoming like fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, and I'm just not here for it. I... I don't even, like, want a bachelorette party or, like, a wedding shower. 
And I think my, I think Aaron's side of the family wants to do a wedding shower. And I'm just like, I really don't. You just got to stand back and let them do it because they want it really badly. As you said, it's for Mm -hmm. them. It's not for you. It's for them. Yeah. Uh, It's so like, it's, I never saw that being a part of the problem, like extra parties and how to do this and things like that. And like, as someone who like loves to plan and produce, I have fucking hated wedding planning. Really? Mm-hmm. I've hated it. Because I was thinking that it would feel just like producing a show, so it would be like easier. No, no. Just the amount of like shit that goes into it, and the like, the hoops and the feeds and the costs. Like once they find out it's a wedding, it's like oh, it's a whole new thing. It's a premium, and you like can't say it's not a wedding because when you do that, then they don't have the same liability as they do, and they could literally bump your event like the day of. It's wild. And then, like, I don't know if you, like, there's no soul in the wedding industry. Like, I don't know if you saw, like, in the beginning of 2020, a lot of people lost their whole wedding and did not get, like, a refund or anything. Oh, yeah, my brother. My brother and fiance. And they ended up getting married because they were supposed to get married, like, last October, I think. And they ended up getting married in May in the backyard of the house where we grew up with literally only immediate family. And they are they are people who just love to dress up and do a thing. Like they're both um yeah. really into rockabilly. Like they're they're uh, like my brother's a greaser and his wife is like a pinup. Like she actually gets photos taken of her on old cars. And oh hell yeah. Oh they're so fucking cool. <laughs> and they we're gonna have a huge, you know, 150 people outdoors in some garden thing. And then they lost it. But then again, like the wedding industry also got fucked. I mean, not really. Like I thought it was going to implode on itself and it came back fucking stronger. Oh no. Like I reached out to um, this one place in Rockaways and I was like, oh, this is going to be so much cheaper. They quoted me at $55,000. What? And that was the 9-11 discount because oh. no one in New York wants to get married on 9-11. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, let's see the discount. I was like, that's not, that's not a discount. Like, what, what was discounted there? Yeah. What, what was the price before the discount? I don't know. Oh she didn't tell me. I stopped replying to those emails. <laughs> it can't, like, it just got stronger. And I was just like, this is bullshit. When you're planning a wedding, does everybody, like, do find out about it and start sending you catalogs and like ads and shit. Luckily not too much though. When we told people that we were not going to be doing it like in a venue on a beach, they were like, but what if we did this? Like we could do it in a different state and it would cost less. And it was like, but that's not what like, we want to be in New York. Like we want to be on the beach, in New York city, but otherwise, no, I've been, I was very like, I put some hard boundaries like really quickly of like, this is mine. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Because, of course, I don't like people telling me what to do as I produce. I'm like, get get out of my, my space. Right. Totally. Oh, my gosh. I hear that so much. I didn't, I didn't realize until I tried producing, like, with multiple other people. And I was like, uh-oh. Like, I need to be the, I need to be the, um, the tyrannical dictator of my show. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same way. I have a hard time working with other people when producing. Yeah. I have to, like, really learn, like, to let go. And it doesn't go well, usually. Well, it's hard because people are offended, but it's like, if you have a very particular vision or standards Mm -hmm. for carrying out a vision, you don't want to do anything less than that. You don't want to do a mediocre version of it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, would I like an assistant? Yeah, sure. That would be great. (laughs) Oh my God. Totally. 
So would you say, this is a little bit of a pivot, living with roommates yes. with Phil during COVID, was that, did it bring you guys closer together or like, did it make it harder? Oh, see, my COVID living story was different because oh, okay. I had been in LA for the year before COVID alone. We were long distance. Mm-hmm. And I, my plan was always to come back East in like May of 2020. And it just happened to line up with COVID. And so I did, but like, and, and Phil was like living with friends and I was coming back to New, to New York to live, like to sublet from a friend of mine until Phil, mm-hmm. and, Phil and I were going to figure out what we were going to do. But I ended up going to my cousin's empty house in Connecticut and being there for almost a whole year. And then, oh shit! and so I was like alone a lot of the time or Phil would come for a few days and then go back to the city. And cause I worked, from home. So I was just, didn't matter where I was. And then in December, I moved in with a friend just to be like month to month. So basically Phil and I have been planning to move in together for like a year and a half, but because of COVID and like different shit, we didn't. So we weren't living, we weren't really living together during COVID. We were living with respective roommates and also I was alone sometimes. Oh, wow. I feel like that had to be really hard. Oh, I was like, Dude, it was a rough winter. It was a very rough winter. And I'm so grateful that I came out of it alive. Thanks to a, like a lot of tools. I that I mean that winter was hard. Like truly for me and Aaron to stay sane, we like force ourselves to go outside 2 hours a day in that winter. Oh, where'd you go? We just we live near Prospect Park, so we would just like walk in the park all day. Mm-hmm. But like it and it became a chore too. It was like we have to go outside yeah. or like I just think it would have been way worse than it was for us mentally if we hadn't done that. Yeah. Oh, I tried to get outside every single day, but it was like after living in beautiful Southern California for a year to then come back to the winter here where like everything was shut down and it was a New York winter and there was no green anywhere. And I lived in Astoria and I lived like in the part of Astoria that is like no nature. Like you have to walk 25 minutes to get to a park, but I still would walk outside and walk around the block and just put my hand on a tree. (laughs) (laughs) So that's like really hard though, to deal with that, like a long distance like that on top of COVID in a relationship. Yeah. It had been like, we broke up for four months while we were long distance. Oh shit. It was like, it, it was just high drama. I mean, but whatever. I think it's all part of the, it's all part of the lessons that we are supposed to. Oh my God. Totally. You know? And like, I feel like people always are afraid of breaking up and getting back together. Like it looks bad, but it's like, no, you needed space. You guys figured out what you wanted. And then you figured out together that you still wanted to be together. So that's all it is. Oh yeah, exactly. And it, and it was totally necessary. And it's like, we both had our moments of questioning things kind of around the same time. It, and it's so interesting. I wonder if you see this with your person, but like, we are such mirrors of, of each other. And if there's something about him that's pissing me off, like more than likely I also do it. And so I look at myself first. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite on this. You know, I can't bitch at you about cleaning up X, Y, or Z. If I have like, if I am a gigantic mess. And so I feel like we were so close at this point that if one of us is going through some kind of chaos, the other one probably is mirroring that. Mm-hmm. Is it hard for two like Sagittarius's to be together? Like, I feel like that's a hard sign, like duo sign, like romantically. Well, 
I think it, it works because he is actually a Libra rising and I'm an Aquarius rising. And those two air signs are super compatible. Um, the Sagittarius just adds the little like taste for adventure. It's hard because I have more wanderlust than he does. Like definitely like I want to live in Spain and I want to just like always be moving around. And he's a little more like, I like my couch. I'm going to have a dog and like the end, but I don't know. Like, I think it was like the right kind of Sagittarian match because we laugh at the same things and we have fun in a lot of the same ways. Aw, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. What are you and your man? I'm a Leo and he is an Aquarius, which is a very, very good match. Yeah, it's right across the right across the chart from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can't complain. Um, but I do definitely hear you of like, I do things that definitely annoy him. And that he does the same thing. It might not be the same exact thing, but it's, like, in the same wheelhouse. And yes. it's, like, I can't get mad. And I didn't communicate it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be honest, I was, like, a little shocked that uh, the COVID brought us closer. Because uh, I was, like, this could go either way, to be honest, as we are together for 24 hours a day. Yeah. So were you, like, how big was the space that you were occupying together? How big was your apartment? So we had uh, a two-bedroom at that point. We had an office, but we found out during COVID that the office was terrible to work in. It got, like, no air, Mm -hmm. and it had a window to dead space, so it was Uh just completely dark. Mm -hmm. So I was unemployed for most of it, and Aaron was a teacher, so he would teach in the living room where there was, like, a lot of light, Mm -hmm. so he could get that. And then I kind of, like, hung out in the bedroom all day until, like, he was done. Oh, my God. But I am also... Here's the thing, though. I'm also, like, very good in my bedroom. Like, I could stay there for days and be fine. <laughs> uh, so it was, like, the best way to do it because, like, it would have driven him crazy to be teaching in the bedroom. Right. Like, when I started working, he would work in the living room and I'd work in the bedroom. And I was like, I'm fine. Like, this is totally fine. And now we, like, moved to a new place. Um, and he's now back in person. So, like, I li- I work out wow. in the living room. And then when he comes back, I just go back into the bedroom. But there was definitely a few moments of, like we are in each other's space too much. Like I need a lot of alone time. Yeah. That's how I recharge. And he needs like, he needs friends to recharge. He needs to be around people. Yeah. Me, so I'm a huge introvert it. and he's a huge like extrovert. And like, that's definitely, there were definitely days where I was like, I need to get you a friend. We need to see someone outside like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's weird. It's also just like, I can't, it feels like yesterday, but it was literally like a year ago, like that winter. Like, I mean, almost, almost right. It was like January and February were some of the worst months of my life. Like really fucking dark. I'm so sorry. But then it led to like, I did a lot of writing. I mean, it was really sad writing, but I did a lot of good writing and, and I ended up like, doing so much therapy, so many different kinds of therapists and, um, you know, spiritual oh. people. And, and then I did a therapeutic ketamine treatment. I was just going to ask you, cause last time I saw you, you were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? I am so intrigued by this because that is such a big thing that now it seems like psychedelics are finally being allowed to be brought back into for depression and anxiety. And I think that's so cool and think it's crazy how that was like happening and then they just got rid of it oh yeah i mean it's it makes so much sense so i'm an aquarius rising and i am just my brain is like always like looking for the patterns and the conspiracies and the whatever and um i mean i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm not anti-vex so <laughs> but I, it's weird to think of ketamine as a psychedelic because it doesn't 
it's not one in the same way that like mushrooms or LSD are. It wasn't a hallucinogen for me. Some people will see some visuals, but it, it was, it's a, it's a six session uh, thing over the so six sessions over the course of three weeks. And it's all guided by and overseen by a therapist. There's a therapist with you the whole time. You're like in this, I mean, I would call it a clinic, but it feels more like a spa that has all these individual little rooms that are like really calming with these like nature murals on the wall. And there's like this leather easy chair and they get, you have your own eye mask and you, you have headphones and you choose what music you listen to. And it's, um, and the therapist is with you the whole time. I mean, every trip was different, but I think, and they, I took tons of notes after and I love it because like it had a very sort of mystical spiritual vibe to it, but there are other ketamine clinics that are much more just clinical where they treat it like getting your teeth cleaned, which is so crazy to me because it just, it removes you from your body. <laughs> it's a dissociative mm-hmm. anesthetic, but regardless of like what the trips themselves were like, it supposedly like resets your brain, like makes it like tabula rasa so that your chemicals get balanced again. And like I've been on, so I was on an antidepressant for 17 years, the same one. And I decided to taper off it at the end of 2019. Um, because I, I'm like, I have all these tools now, like, let's see what's underneath there. I'm a different person. And like, I did it really slowly and carefully and I was totally fine. Like actually for most of 2020, I was totally fine. And then around September, I finished in August and then around September, I started to wake up with this horrible anxiety stomach ache every day mm. and it just grew and grew and grew. And then it was like in December that I moved back into the city and had a total nervous breakdown. Like I think it would have been dramatic even if the medication thing hadn't happened just because I didn't want to be in New York. But I think ultimately the medication thing was putting my body through the most insane and dangerous withdrawal. I mean, mm-hmm. after 17 years on one thing, like I was suicidal for months and I never have been. Oh, fuck. So the, the, the ketamine, like, and I, I used to think like, okay, yeah, chemicals are part of it. But also like if you do enough trauma therapy and you like really work it out through the roots, then blah, blah, blah. And the ketamine really proved to me, no, it is partly chemical. Like it is partly, because mm-hmm. I was doing all the things, all of the, you know, breath work and meditation and yoga and therapy and all the things. And like, I still felt like it was wrong. And with the ketamine, like within a few hours of the first dose, I felt my brain returning to normal. So, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, I did the course of it in July. You know, I haven't had a dose since first week in August and it's maintained. I mean, it's really fucking miraculous. And um, I'm going to be a huge campaigner for that, for therapy. I mean, also mushrooms, but. That's fucking awesome. I could also see you doing ayahuasca. Yeah. Especially, because that's also, is that disassociative? Uh, it's not dissociative. It's a uh, it's DMT, which is a hallucinogen. They call it an entheogen. But they, God, I'm like way up the butt of this stuff, Natalie. Um, but you can't, so ayahuasca the active chemical in a DMT, you can't take it if you're taking an SSRI and I'm back, I'm back on Zoloft and I probably will be like forever. But if you, it's like, you can't take do Molly or DMT on an SSRI because you could get serotonin syndrome and die. Oh shit. Okay. I'm obsessed with the idea of ayahuasca. 
I love the idea of like being rebirthed and, you know, healing ancestral wounds. Like I'm so about it, but it could actually kill me right now. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know your body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I used to hook up with a guy that did ayahuasca a lot and he regularly? loved it. I wouldn't say regularly, but he had to, he done a few, I don't know if trips are the right word, but it's like, cause it's like a multi-day thing. Um, he, He'd done it a couple of times. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. No, you <laughs> definitely know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm very afraid of psychedelics. I'm very afraid of that type of experience. But there was a point where I was like, maybe. But then there was like a lot of vomiting involved, I think. So I was like, I have a fear of vomiting. So oh, yeah, me too. I would rather not. Ayahuasca is, it does that, like, if it's doing its job, you're probably vomiting or shitting your brains <sighs> out. So oh like they, God. if you sit in ceremony, they put a bucket next to you because it's like afterwards you feel amazing, but it's just like purge, purge, purge. But mushrooms, Natalie, you don't even have to take a heroic dose of mushrooms. You could take a, like a small dose of mushrooms, like slightly larger than a micro dose. It just makes you feel open and a little sparkly and like, oh, it's, I find it really gentle. If you take a heroic dose, that's a fucking lot, you know, then you're going to be some mm-hmm. colors and stuff. But like just a little bit of mushrooms, I think is really healthy. <laughs> One of these days I'll try it. I have a lot of friends that love microdosing and like uh, acid and, and acid and mushrooms. And I've always just been a very, I don't trust my brain. And then I had a friend that was like, um, oh my God, what's that movie? Um, oh, it's A24. Uh, scary movie, um, Midsummer. Oh, I didn't see it. Well, they were like, this is the most accurate representation of like an acid trip. And oh then it's a horrifying movie. But like the way, because there's a point where they do take, I think they take acid um, at one point. And there's the way that like the trees moved and yeah. everything's just like slightly brighter. Yes, and they're like, yes. that is what it's like. Yes. Um, yes. But then the whole plot I was like, I don't want to see any of that. Um, but <laughs> well, watch, like it's a it's a good movie. Watch it. I would say watch okay. a movie, and then I think it'll make more sense why it scared me. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that lack of control because uh, I'm so type A. You know, I'm so neurotic. That's my OCD. Like I have to have some type of control. That that would be like the hardest part of it for me. Yeah, but I wonder what your if that control is hiding something from you about yourself. Like if you oh, uh, probably vulnerable. yeah. So, you know, you'll know when the time is right. Yeah, that's true. Like you might just weep a whole bunch and then laugh a whole bunch. That's that's what's happened to me before, but like it's all about the set and setting. You set an you set an intention first and you do it only with people you trust and you do it in a setting that makes you calm and comfortable. And um the loss of control might show up in a way that you're not expecting. But I'm not only do it when you're ready. Okay. I will say I am the worst person to be around that's sober and you're tripping. Why? Because <laughs> uh, all I do is I'm like, what do you see? What do you see right now? And they're like, please stop. That's not how it works. But I'll ask like every five minutes, be like, well, what about now? What is that tree doing now? Or like, what's that brick house doing now? All right. So you have the curiosity. And by the way, it would be doing something different for you than from anybody else. Which people have explained to me repeatedly, and I'm like, I understand that, but what are you seeing? <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> yeah, that curiosity might develop into something else. We'll see. 
You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So how did you and Phil meet? I don't think I know how you guys met. It's a cute story. Oh, yay. Did you know that, Freed? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. He just got engaged. He did uh, yesterday. Yeah, he yeah. did. Um, he's a good friend of ours. So he wrote this parody of a Charlie Brown Christmas that we performed yes. at the pit and at the crane um, called a Charlie Brown apocalypse. And he cast Phil as the Charlie Brown character and me as the peppermint patty character. And we hadn't, we didn't know each other, you know, before that, like during the course of it, I remember like, I was not really interested in him at all. Like I was, I was super type A and I was like, I come from a, I come from a serious theater background and you're a fucking sloppy sketch, whatever. And you know, he was late for everything and he was like, whatever, kind of like a, he was having fun, but he was a mess. And I was like, I don't have any time in my life for that. And, but we were friends. And then during the course of the show, like we ended up texting, we ended up having this text conversation that where we found out that we were like, into the same porn. <laughs> what porn? It was that he, I like to watch guys jerking off and he liked to be watched when he was jerking oh, off. Oh, hells yeah. Yeah. So that sort of happened. And then the conversation continued on Gchat and became like the dirtiest conversation of my life. But by the end of it, he was like, it sounds like we could help each other out. Um, so, uh- <laughs> which is such a great line. Um, so we, we planned to just fuck, to have no strings attached sex, which was fine for me because like there were no stakes. Like in the past, all the relationships that I've gotten into have started very like with this like longing and this like cerebral connection and this just like deep whatever. And then 
And then I pedestalize the guy. And so the power balance is always wrong. But in this situation, I was kind of like, okay, Phil, like whatever, you're a dude that I know, but you know, not, not unattractive, but we planned what day we were going to fuck and it was going to be after a show. And like, we both spent the day like eating pineapple and I like picked out my underwear and I just did, it was like, it was very like a ritual all day. And then we had the show and then we had, there was a party like at a bar nearby afterward and we left the party. He left the party to get his car. And I left 10 minutes later and I like met him around the corner <laughs> in his car and we went back to Queens and had, you know, the best sex of my life. Oh shit. Yeah. And it was like the first, the first couple of months was very like, we're really just in it for the fucking, there's no, not doing feelings. I kept checking in with myself and being like, how am I doing? Because I knew as soon as, as soon as the oxytocin would kick in, I would give my power away. Like, and that I was like, you know, I'm just going to take what I need right now. I'm just going to take what I need and not going to get my heart broken. And, you know, the feelings ended up developing naturally. And here's, here's the cutest part. My parents, Leslie and Stuart, never call each other Leslie and Stuart. They call each other Chuck from a joke that started when they were in college that had to do with the Peanuts comics. And in my childhood home now, there are like framed Peanuts comics on the hall wall. And so the fact that like Phil and I met how we did was so bizarrely, you know, synchronistic. I love that. Yeah. I have to ask though, when did it switch? Because I feel like going from just fucking to a relationship is one of the hardest transitions ever to make in a relationship. Yeah, I think so. He was, he was on the tail of a three-year relationship that was very abusive toward him Mm -hmm. and just really, really toxic and unhealthy. And I was sort of like the Sherpa that brought him out of that relationship. So like I could feel myself begin to develop feelings and I would sort of needle him about it. And we were like taking drives everywhere and like going, you know, for dinner, whatever. And he was hesitant, but I, I knew that he felt it. He was just hesitant to like immediately get into another relationship because he had planned to, you know, be single for a while. He ended up talking to me a lot about his ex. And I was talking to a psychic at the time who was like, the ex is, you know, inserting, like, don't let her into the space. Like she's inserting herself into your space with him. And so I was feeling really empowered and I just had a conversation with him. And I was like, look, I don't want you to talk about her with me. Like if outside of here, cause they were still in touch and still talking to each other, even though it was screaming matches. I was like, if you want to see her, talk to her, like do that away from me. But when you're with me, I want you, I want you to be only with me and doing that. Like it was like casting a spell, like just asserting that boundary. I think won him over like his respect for me just like shot up and he made the decision. Well, I remember he said at one point, he was like, the heart wants what it wants. He had been feeling really guilty. I think to be with me while he was still talking to his ex and he just made the choice. It's like, I, I don't think it was an ultimatum. I think it was just like, look, I know how valuable I am. So either you treat me that way or don't, but then bye, you know? Yeah. A nice hard boundary. It was a hard boundary. And also like, I don't know, like he's such a romantic. 
And there were too many moments that like we were having so much of a good time, you know, like we were laughing always. And it was like, oh my God, you want to do that thing? I want to do that thing now too. And it was just so fun. And the fun just kept going. And it was like a really long honeymoon phase. And so the feelings just like crept into it because we were having a great time. I love that. Aw. Yeah. It wasn't like there was a, a switch or like, we were both ready for that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's really wild how it crept up on me. It's because like I, we were holding it really lightly and not putting too much pressure on it. Yeah. And without that type of pressure, yeah, it allowed you to explore mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It was all about exploration and like play. What was your last relationship before Phil like? Uh, it was <laughs> very toxic. I was uh, with this guy... And I was with him for four and a half years and it was two and a half years too long. Like I knew we weren't supposed to be in it, but like from the very beginning of it, we had, it was like a trauma bond because he, we were both really depressed and like bonded over how much it was us against the world. Mm. But he was like such anger problems and such anxiety. And he hadn't dealt with the grief of his father and he was too smart for his own good. He was in, he was in actual Mensa. Oh shit. <laughs> and he just was like, so insecure and hypervigilant and like uncomfortable in his own body. And I was too, but I was coming out of that. And I was, you know, I was working in theater. I worked at Labyrinth Theater Company and he would be really, really jealous and possessive when I, you know, I was going out to shows all the time and I was hanging out with the people in the company and he was like, oh, you're probably fucking all these guys. And I'm like, no, actually, I, nope, like I, I've never cheated. And he was just, and then I wanted to start smoking weed and he started like giving me shit about it. And then he became Catholic (laughs) over the course of our relationship. (laughs) He went from being agnostic to being Catholic, serving in the church every Sunday and going to church every single day. And it was like, he clearly needed something to grab onto. And it was not good. And like, by the end, you know, we were only having sex once a month anyway, because it was like being roommates who happened to be sleeping together. And part of the reason was because he felt guilty because with the Catholicism, he felt guilty. And I'm like, dude, you're you're going backwards with this. What are you doing? Yeah. Like as someone who like went to Catholic school and was raised Catholic, I am a full blown atheist now. Like the fact that he went, I... I have so many questions about that, but, oh God. And yeah, the Catholic guilt just like with sex and relationships, it's just like, Ooh, why would you add that on top of everything else you're dealing with? Like mentally? Yeah. I don't, I don't know it. I think he just felt so like he needed rigorous structure and Mm -hmm. Catholicism just made sense to him. And it's just so, it's so sad because at the beginning of our relationship, it was, he was so like, he was into fashion and he was a DJ and he was just like a brilliant artist. And then by the end of the relationship, he was like a serious practicing Catholic who worked at Google and like was a minimalist. And I'm just like, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. It was not. What a 180, like, holy shit. Yeah. I feel like that's what happens though too, is like my relationship before Aaron was toxic and it was just like, we're in this for way too long. Like we're both aware this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. But then for some reason, when you go like that low, I feel like it allows you to really 
like you said, just ex- finally like explore without that type of like um the the preciousness. Yeah. When you said you put someone on a pedestal, I was like, oh yeah, I've done that repeatedly in past relationships for sure. Yeah, because that that came from my wound. That came from my feeling like I wasn't lovable. And so I found mm-hmm. somebody who finally like is attracted to me or, or has feelings for me. I better clutch them as hard as I can, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had been... So Phil is like my third major relationship. There was Kyle and then there was Mark and then there was Phil. And Phil is so wildly different from them. And the quality of a relationship is so wildly different. I don't know if you felt like this also before Aaron, but after Mark and I broke up, I was like, I'm in this for me. Like, I'm just going to do what I need to do now. And I started really working on my career. Um, I, that was when I started doing comedy. I mean, that was when I started doing improv. And it was like this completely lovely new chapter of my life where it was like, okay, well, I'm taking care of my business. If somebody happens to come along, that's great. But if not, like, I'm doing okay. So when Phil showed up, I didn't need him. And I think that was what made it different. Oh, absolutely. And I did the same exact thing. I finally, I don't know if it was like, I finally learned my own self-worth or something or like yeah. that I was the most important. Yeah. But yeah, it was like fucking game changing for yeah. sure. Yeah. I would never go back to being in my twenties. I'm so glad to not be in my twenties. Oh my God. I think about that all the time. I I totally get that. I work with a lot of 20 year olds and like they're in like some shit right now. And I'm just kind of like, love your twenties though. Like, 30s are cool too, but like, I don't know. I love the high highs and like the low lows and just, I'm a big fan of like lessons. So I'm like, oh, that taught me something. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. But I just, I think there was also just so much discomfort. And by the time I was in my thirties, I was like, there's still discomfort and there's still lessons, but I know who I am now and I'm comfortable in my own body now, you know? Oh yeah. But like in my twenties, I was so uncomfortable so much of the time if it was anxiety or if it was like being in spaces that weren't like my people you know I don't need any more of that no I totally get that and you're right like it I if I look back at like pictures of me and I'm like I remember always thinking I was fat and like I look back and I'm like you were so skinny and I used to I used to be like oh how could you not like realize that now or something and now I look at it very differently of like oh yeah like that's how I looked then and I loved how I looked how I looked then and now I'm still very happy with how I look now mm-hmm. even after like weight change and weight gain um which is a big one I've had to learn just because like that runs in my family if that makes sense I don't want to like uh put anyone on blast but just relearning not even relearning just like learning to love my body yeah. was a big one. Yeah. That was the biggest one in the 20s for me, I think, was uh, not having that. Yeah, that was huge for me too in my 20s. And I, when I was like 18, 17 or 18, I developed anorexia like overnight. And I didn't Ooh. think that that's what it was. I just thought I was being healthy. But really, I was just like obsessive. And that lasted a few years. And that was also like my mother went through the same thing when she was my age. And she just outgrew it whenever she did. And then I did too. But I feel like I couldn't get to that place until I started like, and I'm curious how you got to that place. Like I was taking this two year acting conservatory that had this movement program associated with it. And the movement program was what got me to love my body for the first time because, mm-hmm. and, and like just be in my body and appreciate all of its like shapes and the way it moved. And yeah, that happened in my, 
in my late twenties. Like, what was it for you that brought you to that acceptance? I'm actually not sure. Like, I'm trying to think of it now, and I'm not sure if it was just literally getting older, yeah. um, and like being aware of just like bodies change, and like why would I have to be skinny to be liked or like to like myself? Um, and I think I started to see the like disordered eating patterns that I I had dealt with, like with my mom and just like, I haven't put on a diet like my whole life, basically since mm-hmm. I was like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking back at those pictures being like, I wasn't fat, but Me. I was like told I was fat. Yep. And so I think it was just relearning of like, what does that mean? Like, why does that hold any power? And so then I was just finally really able to like, let go. And then definitely also having a partner that like, loves me no matter what my body looks like. Yeah. There's no pressure put on there. Yeah, it's that is huge. Yeah, because I would see that type of pressure from both. I love my parents to death. They're both very vain. I'm very vain too. I love how I look, but I they were very, weight is very important to them. Yeah, mine. And they would too. say that repeatedly. Yeah. I think it's just like that was the information they were given. Generational thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just learning more, learning what like actually eating healthy is and looks like and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that was like a slow pro- process that got me there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you got there. However you got there. Yeah, you too. Yeah. I. It's cool to be in this place where I'm like, okay, I'm glad that I got the body stuff sort of, or at least that element of the body stuff sort of out of the way. And now I just see it as this like magical vessel in which my soul gets to live. And it like does cool stuff for me. It allows me to do cool stuff. So it's like it frees up space in my brain to tackle other issues. And I know that for a lot of people who have disordered eating, it is something they struggle with for their whole life. So I am privileged to not have it rule me yeah, same. anymore. I don't know if COVID helped with that too, just being indoors and like- For sure. Like, like your body's taking care of you during this very scary time. For sure. And it's like wearing- elastic waist everything every day for a year. I saw this headline. I did not read the article, but it was like, if you can't fit into your clothes that you wore when you were 21, you could get diabetes. And I was like, fuck you. I saw that. Or I heard that on the radio like two days ago. And it's like, your body's supposed, I'm not supposed to have my body that I had when I was like 18 or 21. Like we're not supposed to. Like things move and change. I don't know. That made me so mad. But I was like, I cannot read this article. I'll just get angrier. Yeah, it was. I was surprised to hear because, like, it's. Not, I think it came from like a government agency or uh, something. It might have been FDA or something. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, that's ridiculous. Because even if you are, even if you are the same weight that you were when you're 21, which, by the way, how? But even if you are, the shape of your body changes. Yeah, stuff moves around. Like you're not supposed to be nubile at 40. That's weird. No, I I was like, this is such a damaging article. Like people are going to read that and be like, well, I have to get back into my skinny. Well, for me, it would have been flares at 21. Like I wasn't wearing skinny jeans yet. Hell yeah. (laughs) Flare jeans. That's right. Boot boot cut. Boot cut. Oh my God. Like, no, I swear to God. It drives me crazy. (laughs) I, I hate that too. And I defy it. And also like, if I look at the women in my family, like my dad's mom, I look exactly like her and I was, she was round in the same way and was the same height and was the same skin, like skin tone and everything. And it's like, no, this is what my body's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's just it, you know, other people might think it's too round, but 
this is just what jeans gave me. Yeah. That I, I'm, I'm so for this. Uh, I'm the same. Like I look like my mom. Things have changed the same like timeline as hers have changed. Like, fuck it. Don't wear, don't try to wear those jeans from your 21 year old life. No, I, I'm happy to say that I got rid of those a long time ago. <laughs> Good. Yes. Yeah. We had a lot of bases. We had a lot of relationships. We did. Um, I did want to say though, I love the amount of trust in your and Phil's relationship. Like to do long distance, to be together for that long and do so many different types of relationships. Like that's a huge testament to like your personal relationship with Phil. And I think that's really fucking cool. And I'm very excited yeah. for whatever your wedding looks like or whatever marriage looks like for you guys. I think it's going to be an exciting ride. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's very special. So sometimes it's hard to tell if it's like, you know, um, really healthy or really codependent, but probably both. Yeah. We're lucky. We're both people who don't like to, who don't like to fight. And so even if we have, you know, passionately blow up at each other, we both are, will apologize quickly. And I attribute that. I attribute the relationship to that a lot of the time. Like the communication is key and the not wanting to hurt the other person is key. Absolutely. And you just, you'd be so surprised at how many people don't care about hurting the person that they're with or hurting anyone I, I in general. Understand. Yeah. I don't get I don't it. Understand. Why would you want to do that? But Hey, I love this for you guys. Thank you. I can't wait for you to post pictures of your wedding on the beach. Cause it's going to be so baller. And you are more than welcome to come. We literally are inviting everyone. Oh, then yes, I'll be there. <laughs> never turn down a beach. Hells yeah. I never turn down a beach. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you love this episode as much as I do. And remember, let's podcast is called What's Betwixt Us, a podcast about empathy at work, which let's talk about that. I, I love, I love the empathies at work. Need more of them. And you can follow her again on Instagram at a flock of sandwiches. Um, and I hope you guys are doing good. Remember to check your breasts too. Uh, check your breasts, check your chest, check your chesticles. All I got on that is I have to get more tests done. So that's fun. So go talk to your doctor if you found something that doesn't feel right. And I will see you guys next week. All right. Bye.